Welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. Uh, as always, I am Reg and I'm joined by Buckets via Zoom on this uh, Saturday, uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, how are you, Buckets? I'm very well. I've uh, got my first sunburn of the season, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> some, some nice spring weather. Oh, very, very nice. It's actually, it's very warm here. It's like mid-20s. It's it's lovely. It's Oh, well, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's all right for you guys. You said that <laughs> year round. We, we get over 15 and we're happy down here. <laughs> oh, too funny. Well, what a uh, what a crazy period of time in the NBA since since we last spoke. And literally just after we last spoke, everything's... Everything's changed, so or not everything's changed, but there was you know a, a couple of crazy a crazy forty eight hours I guess um, with with the Milwaukee Bucks uh, not turning up to play their game against Orlando, and then obviously things things going from there. So I think that's the that's the thing and the topic that we'll jump straight into. Um, where did you want to start with with all of that? Yeah, so yeah, you're right. Uh, absolutely amazing forty eight hours. Um, in the NBA, uh, 2020, just you keep saying, I never thought I would, you know, live through this or see this or that. And, you know, it seems like every time we go around a corner that another thing happens that you think I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. But, um, I thought a nice place, well, not a nice place, but what I wanted to, um, get your perspective on, because I'm sure I'm a bit biased in this, but, uh, Stephen A., had um, a report yesterday um, on first take about what had happened in the bubble, um, specifically in relation to LeBron James and how he conducted himself over that, um, you know, very emotional 48 hours for those players and those, you know, specifically the African-American players in that bubble. Um, and for me, you know, I, I love watching Stephen A, but that was probably the most disappointed I've been in him and reporting that on that day. Um, I understand he has a job to do um, and he has to report things and um, he's you know got contacts and he's in the know and, and what he reported may potentially be true. But I thought for him to report that about someone like LeBron who's been at the forefront of this movement has done more for player empowerment, more to drive this movement forward long before it become cool and become, you know, something that you could get clout from or, or be popular by being a part of this Black Lives Matter movement. For him to report that without context, without um, taking into account what these players are going through, being in this bubble for a couple of months, the emotions that would have been going on during those meetings... I just didn't see what positive things could come from reporting that about LeBron James on that day. You know, three, four months down the track, you you might want to come out and say, you know, this is what I heard about what happened then and all the rest of it. But to me, all that's done is taken one of the leaders of this movement and made him look like he's doing the wrong thing when you've got enough people on the racist side of things and, and the people in America that want to continue with the things that are happening um, into uh, minorities and African-Americans, I just, I to me, I just, it didn't make sense. And, you know, when you say he's got a job to do, he's a reporter, 
Well, you can miss me on that because he's said on the record a number of times about the things he didn't report about Alan Iverson back in the day because he wanted to protect him. So it's not that he has to, he can stand back and say, look, I'm a reporter. I've got to report everything good, bad or indifferent. When you've said you haven't reported things because you didn't think it was in the best interest of that person to report it. So for me, this was a time when you could have let this slide. I know it's going to get ratings. I know it's going to get clicks and people want to hear it. But to me, I don't think that did anything to push this movement forward, which is far more important than getting a few views and a few clicks um, on your on your YouTube page. But again, I, I feel like I'm looking at this through through a biased lens, being such a big fan of LeBron and such a fan of what he's done for, for player empowerment and to bring his his fellow players up and move this movement forward at Black Lives Matter. So I wanted to get your opinion on what you you thought about that report. Yeah, that's it's. I actually didn't think of it in the um, in the way that you've just put it um, about about. It was more, I think, about what was being reported that sort of uh, surprised me, I guess, than um, the timing of it um, of what was reported. And I think you're right. I think emotions were high. There was so much going on. It does take away from what is the most important message at the moment and, and, and what these, these players were trying to and are trying to achieve um, through, through, the, through the boycott. So I, I do think that his, he, he, the timing of it was poor and it did, it did make uh, the various talk shows switch to that rather than the, the whole reason why they were boycotting in the first place. So um, that you're not looking at it in a biased way there because now that you mentioned that and, and being you know somebody who's understands uh, you know LeBron is an all-time great but don't don't love him don't hate him I'm right in the middle there um, I, I don't think it was fair um, on on LeBron um, um, and that the, just the timing of it was was poor which which I think I do think that that some of these guys including Stephen A like to pretend that. Um, you know, it's their job to report and things like that, but it is very selective. Let's be honest; they they do they do report on things that they know will get people's attention um, because they want the ratings. You know, they they want people to watch. They want to be able to say we're the top rated debate show, we're this, we're that. Um, so, a little bit disappointing, and I think I also think it's his report lacks so much detail that it left so much open for interpretation that. It only gives people who either love LeBron or hate LeBron. Um, it only gives them more. Um, what's the word? Like more. Um, like it doesn't give them enough clarity to understand what happened. Like it's so that so the haters are going to be like, "Oh, this is typical LeBron. You know, thinks he's better than everyone." Blah blah blah. You know, um, and then the and then the, the the other side, which I see as well, is well, he's not lying. <laughs> he's the best player in the league. He's above these <laughs> other guys. And I don't think knowing no, well, not that I know LeBron, but knowing LeBron and what he's achieved off the court, um, as as probably the the greatest off the court, you know, of all time in terms of what he's done for for people um, around the world in, in various ways through his uh, his I promise. Um, uh, school, I believe it is. Um, yep. He's he's various other work. Like he's just done everything. I find it difficult to believe when LeBron, if he did use the words 
the guys beneath me, I, f- I find it difficult to believe that he meant like I'm better than everybody else. I don't think that's what he meant by it. Um, and I, I, so I think the, the, the report lacked uh, detail um, and now it's left us all like annoyed <laughs> one way or the other because you, you don't know all the detail and it's come up and taken away from from the key message of the entire boycott. So yeah, I, I think that the timing was poor and unless, unless you give us all the information, um, you, you're just leaving it open for for people to to have their view um, negatively or positively and it doesn't doesn't benefit anyone and it doesn't benefit the message that they're trying to push no and really the 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 ones that benefit are the people that want to push back on this movement they want to push back on the athletes and say there's not systemic race and racism it's not the police's fault it's not america's fault it's these athletes should just stick to basketball all it does is take the face of the NBA and the face, you know, the person with the most power to drive it forward, it gives them ammunition to say, well, he's not that great. He's, you know, he's this, he's that. It gives them ammunition to, to push back on this movement, which is not what we need. It's they need everyone pushing for them, not people having ammunition to push back on them. Yeah, and I should say for, for people who are listening, we'll, we'll post the um, the YouTube clip on our Facebook page so that you can see what we're referring to if you haven't seen it. Um, not that we want to promote it, but just so you understand what we're talking about. And I thought the other part of it that was really interesting was he mentions at one point about if you are a leader, you speak at the front. You don't speak, you don't wait to the end and then have your say. And then literally praised Michael Jordan, um, who, who is another topic that we'll touch on, but telling owners to listen before you speak so isn't that contradicting the you, you know what i mean like 100 percent. yeah i found that very bizarre that they're both doing the same thing in, in a way and yet you're praising one and bringing down another it it was a bit uh a bit interesting in the way that he put that that's right and um i think that yeah so we're going to touch on the jordan thing so that's a good segue because one of my other um, disappointments by reporting that that um, that information at that time is that had come on the back of the report of Michael Jordan being a I guess a go between from Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook and the players he was sort of that between the players and the owners and, and playing that mediation role so that's on the back of that report which automatically turned into this huge LeBron versus Jordan debate again. Now, this I know people like to debate that, but that should just be in a basketball sense. We don't need a debate about who's doing more for the Black Lives Matter movement at this time between Jordan and LeBron. We need it to be that they're both doing everything they can to create a better life for minorities in America, not... Well, Jordan's, you know, doing this really positive over here and LeBron's doing this negative over here. That's exactly why the movement hasn't moved forward since the days of Martin Luther King, because they're not united and, and together to move forward, which is what everyone's calling for now, is to be together in this cause for change. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I could, it's, it's disappointing that it always has to be a, a comparison. Um, I was... 
I was uh, somewhat surprised um, uh, by Jordan's um, involvement. Not because I, I, I don't think he cares, but we know that typically he hasn't involved himself in anything that's been controversial um, because of his business and you know, everyone buys shoes and things like that. Yes. As he's, you know, uh, he admitted it in the Last Dance documentary. I'm not, I'm, I'm not that way. Um, LeBron has always chosen to be that way, and we sh- it shouldn't be a, as you say, it shouldn't then come back to well, who's better? Like exactly, it, it takes away from the message, and and this is the problem with with social media and these things really that um, it gives people the the platform to always make these things a, a, about who's better and and you know and, and it takes away from the message as you say if we're talking about basketball fine we can argue to the cows come home people can have their say doesn't bother me what, whatsoever but when it comes to an issue like life like someone's yes. life it's a little bit you know come on like people just need to to pull their head in a bit and um you know and keep on track with what what these guys are doing and you don't hear lebron or mj saying Oh, I'm doing more than than MJ, or I'm doing more than LeBron. You know, like you don't hear these guys saying that because they they know that the important thing is what they're working on. Nothing else matters. That's right, and we're doing it together. Yep, yep. Um, has there been any any anyone um, through all of this, or or um, who's who you've been really impressed with um, in either the way that they've led or? Um, the way that they've listened, or whether it be one of the players or an analyst, or has there been anyone who's sort of impressed you in in the the boycotting um, saga, if you call it that? Well, I think obviously the, the you know the Milwaukee Bucks is it springs to mind that you know they did what they did. In terms of anyone that surprised me, I I don't. No one sort of surprised me at what they've been able to do. I thought Danny Green. He did um, a press conference after their practice yesterday um, for about 20 minutes, and I'd never really heard Danny Green speak and things like that, but um, I felt like he framed a lot of what happened fairly well um, from what the meetings were like, um, the emotions in the room. Um, gave a very balanced sort of answers to, to, I guess, the timeline of events and how it all went down compared to what was reported and things like that. Um, but in terms of, like, I'm just impressed with the whole league and the players together that no one's sort of going off and breaking ranks and, and trying to do their own thing. They, you know, it seems like a lot of the emotion that was there on, on that meeting on Wednesday night was just about, okay, we, we come in here saying that we're going to do this together and we're going to have a united front. So we understand what the Bucks have done but now we need to make sure that we're all on the same page so that you know we don't have one group of players doing this over there and blindsiding others. We all want the same results, so let's put a plan in place that we all know what's going on so we all can be in lockstep together and push it forward. Um, so I think as a playing group as a whole, it's just so impressive that no one's no one's trying to go outside of that. No one's trying to be you know, um, get their voice on TV or, or anything like that. They all just want to get the results um, together. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, uh, oh, I can't remember, somebody, some basketball analyst was saying how proud they are to be uh, associated with the NBA. 
Um, and I think as a, as a fan, I feel that exact same way. The way they've led um, and, and that, you know, it's, it's not just saying, but it's doing is, is so impressive. And the way they've all come together in what is the, you know, the um, most competitive time in the NBA during the playoffs. Yes. Uh, these guys could put that aside and be like, there's more important things happening in this world um, and we need to do something about it because if we do just shut up and dribble, <laughs> you know, like all these people say they, they should do, it. these guys are, are choosing to use their platform for the better and that's, you know, I, I think it's fantastic and it, it only helps, um, I think, other people learn and I know I've learned a lot. Um, Doc Rivers has been very impressive to me. Um the way that he talks about um, being being a black man in America and and um, you know living in fear um, and, and you know things like that. It's it's I think everybody should watch that because whilst we will never fully understand, we can do our best to to learn as much as we can um, to understand. And I just think it's 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 yeah, it's been fantastic that the, that the players have have um, have did what they did. Um, you know, emotions were over the place. And I think I watched something with Doc Rivers, uh, it must have been yesterday, uh, press conference with him. And he was, he said he slept, he had the best night's sleep he had in ages because he was like, I think everybody just needed to take some time out and just vent, talk to each other, find out what, what we're going to do collectively to, to keep pushing this message on the outside while still trying to keep our season going. Because the other thing that, that I don't think is fair that, that these guys are the ones who have to give up what they love, you know, to, to push the message. What about everybody else? <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, so yeah, I, I'm, it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, great to be a fan of, of a league um, that, that takes these things um, uh, so seriously and w- would go to that extreme to, to push the message. That's right. And, you know, they're basketball players, you know. In an ideal world, they shouldn't have to be the ones to be making these changes. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, they, they shouldn't live in a country where, as you say, they have to give up what they've worked for to try and change the things that are wrong in their country. Like, everyone says they should just play basketball and just be athletes and they're millionaires and what are they whinging about? Well... It's, it's all right for them, but what about the people out um, in society that are dealing with these things? They, they should just be able to play basketball, but they can't because of these things that are happening in their country. And I just wanted to, um, I just wrote down, so over ever since George Floyd um, happened and then we've gone into the bubble and then, and then obviously Jacob Blake's happened, a lot of, you see a lot of people saying that, you know, these guys are millionaires. What are they worried about? It's all fine for them. You know, they're, they're all good. I just wanted to go through some quotes from different, there's five that, um, that have happened over, over the time. So four in the last couple of days and one from Jay Williams back when the George Floyd thing happened that contradicts this idea that just because they're famous and they've got a lot of money, that they don't have to deal with what they have to deal with. And it sort of, it, it took it, it, it took me aback as to what it must be like to be an African-American in America. So Jay Williams was talking after the George Floyd um, incident and he said, 
I had a conversation with my dad after I bought a car about whether I should tint the windows or not because of racial profiling. And I know that if I get pulled over, my hands are on the wheel and I can't move them. And I thought, you sh no black person should ever have to consider, should I tint my windows or not, just in case the police want to pull me over. Um, Chris Haynes had an interview and he said that he's spoken to a number of players that have bought Tesla cars because not many black people drive Teslas. So they believe if they bought them, they won't get pulled over. Um, obviously, um, we've all seen the, the Doc Rivers one that says, why do we love a country that doesn't love us back? Um, Vince Carter was talking and he was saying that now that he's retired, whenever he goes to put the trash out, he makes sure he has his phone and his ID just in case the police are going through his neighbourhood so he can identify who he is. And I, th I just thought, this guy's got more money than, than any, like he would have made over 200 million in his career. Now that he's retired, he makes sure he has his ID when he puts the trash out, just in case the police want to pull him over. And you just think, well, it doesn't matter how famous you are, how much money you have, it, it still doesn't change that he's a black man in America. And the last one was Robert Horry. And this one was, this, this was really got me. He said, I have a conversation with my 14 year old and said, if the police want to put you on the ground and beat you and kick you, you let them because then you go to the hospital and then you come home to me. If you don't, you don't come home. And you just think yeah. no one should ever have to have those conversations with their 14 year old kid. You know, these things that black people in America have to consider because of the colour of their skin, that it just shouldn't happen. And this idea that just because they're rich and they're famous, they still have to put up with that. Imagine what it's like for the people that aren't rich and aren't famous. Yeah, that um, that Robert Ory one, I, I hadn't heard that one. That's, um, that's horrible. And before you mentioned that, I was going to say there's been various... Um, um, you know, famous analysts and, and ex-players and that who I've seen talk about what they try to teach their kids. And as a relatively new parent, it just, it, it, it breaks your heart. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to do that. And I'm lucky that I don't have to worry about teaching my son that he, what he should or, or shouldn't do purely because of the color of his skin. Yes. That's nothing else. That's the only thing. It's just, it, it just it breaks your heart it really does and and these 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 people have to try and find yeah like that that Robert Ory one is just it's yeah I mean they're all horrible they're all horrible what what those people have said and what they've tried to do in their lives to to get around it um yeah I I don't know what more to say <laughs> it's just yeah. terrible it really it is. is you know to, to have a saying that they say to their kids comply or die they should never have to say that about law enforcement. They're no. there to serve and protect. When they're teaching their kids comply or die, you know something's wrong. Yep. Yep. And I think Steve, I think it was Stephen A. who was once telling a story where he got pulled over and um, the, the, the white cop asked for his license and registration and um, he said something like, what have I done wrong, officer? And he said the officer immediately put his hand on his holster and he said, Stephen A said, his partner, who was also a white guy, 
came running over and grabbed him and said, you go away, I'll deal with it. And said, thanks, sir, you're free to go. And Stephen wow. A was like, it was at that point where I realized I can't even ask. I can't even ask a simple question of what have I done or was I speeding or, with, you know, otherwise it's... And he was like, I was frightened. I thought, oh my goodness, you know, it's just... Mm-hmm. And he said, it doesn't matter that I'm Stephen A. Smith. That means nothing to them. You know, yeah. like, it, yeah, it's just horrible. It's it's a horrible thought. Um, and I don't understand how people don't see it that way, you know? Yes. And, um, and Sue Bird, actually, a WNBA player, was on a podcast recently and she was talking about... Um, the WNBA and what they've they've done in 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 the past and whatnot about social justice and things like that, and she mentioned that she mentioned something and I'm I'm not going to quote her because I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something along the lines of um, the shut up and dribble thing or the um, you know you're a sports person just be a sports person doesn't make any sense because we didn't bring politics into our sport you did yeah. you know you made it a political thing we're now just responding. Because you haven't done your job. So don't make it out like we're the ones who raised this. We did it. Yes. You know, and I thought that's such a good way to put it that these people aren't actively going out and trying to find, you know, things to talk about in a political sense. It's to, they'd rather not do it. They would I'm rather saying. not do it. So oh, it just drives you insane that, that, yeah, just how some people just don't think. They just don't think. They just have yeah. their two sets. And, and you look on, you go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And look at any of these things and read the comments and it'll just make your blood boil. Some of the mm. comments that some people say, it just makes you think, what world do you live in? As a human being, what world do you live in? Because it's yeah. not mine, you know. That's right. And you, you just you hope those comments are trolls or bots because, as you say, like I, I don't normally go on Twitter, but I made it, I got on my Twitter account during the boycott to get all the updates from Woj and that. Yep. And you're reading some of the comments on his tweets and I'm just looking at I'm just you just hope that these aren't real people, the stuff that they're saying, because it's just like, how can anyone have that and still have a conscience? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah. There's just people need to check themselves. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not, per- I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I am, but yeah, there's certain things I think, it, you know, it's, it, it, it's not hard to to educate yourself and listen and understand, you know, you don't always have to be right in these sorts of things and, and people just can't help themselves. They just feel like they have to have to have the last say or, you know, um, and it's the, it's the same with people who post all lives matter and all those mm-hmm. sorts of things. We're not saying that all lives don't matter. That's not the message, you know, yes. but all lives can't matter until black lives matter. That's just the way yeah. it is. So it's people just completely misinterpret or misunderstand yeah, what's um, what's happening? Um, that's right, and and that's quite, the problem, isn't it? When these things happen, they immediately go, "Well, what did he do wrong?" Or he was a criminal. He did this, or he did that. Like it's always, you know, always trying to shift the blame and things like that. And it's it's just it's not about that. That that that's what needs to change so that this can this can go forward. Yep, absolutely. And and as always, uh, very disappointing that. Um, uh, Mr. Trump, all he could talk about was the ratings of the NBA going down in response to all this. Typical, but yes. um, yeah, just very disappointing as as is majority of the stuff that this man does. 
not that I'm a, not that I'm a huge politics fan of America, but you know, it's pretty easy to see. Yeah, he's just a, a fool. <laughs> he is. He just yeah. Hopefully November, he doesn't get back in. Yes. Yep. Very true. Very true. Um, what do you think? Now that the NBA has resumed, obviously we had the, the three games today, um, which we'll, we'll we'll jump into in a sec. Um, but what do you think the impact of of the boycott will have on 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 things from here on out, from an emotional perspective, um, from a competitive perspective, um, from a um, from a, a determination perspective? Because these guys are, are in one stage are playing for a title. You know, they're playing for the pinnacle of of their job. And in the other frame of mind, there's all this stuff going on, and it's only getting bigger, really. Unfortunately, it's not dying down; it's just getting bigger and bigger. So, do you think that's going to have a big impact on things going forward? It's a, it's a great unknown, isn't it? Um, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day, or well, not the other day, yesterday before the games come back today. Um, I think I think they realised in the two days that they were having the meetings and, and things that you know emotions had sort of calmed down a little bit and they could look at it rationally. I think now as a collective, they understand the power they have because of the NBA. I think they understand that, you know, the boycott garnered so much attention, but walking away wasn't going to continue that attention. The reason that, you know, other major sports, these like baseball, NHL, the WNBA, they all followed suit and boycotted their games you got NFL training camps, um, putting Jacob Blake on the helmets, things like that. I think they understand that basketball is the main thing in terms of having that platform and that 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 long-reaching impact and stage and platform that they keep talking about. So I think from that perspective that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna not have a problem being able going onto the court. They're not gonna feel guilty playing the game because they understand that that gives them a vehicle to push this thing forward, not just walking away and becoming just a normal citizen then, because even though they have, you know, followers on Twitter and Instagram and things like that, that's not going to give them the platform that they got while they're in the bubble because it led all news stories, um, the NBA media or the sports media were covering it. If they're not playing in the bubble, none of that happens and it just sort of, you know, it doesn't have anywhere near the impact it did. So I think from that perspective, there won't be any guilt going back and playing. How it affects them emotionally and from a competitive standpoint, it's it's very difficult to, to get a gauge on that because it's just, it's never happened, has it? You know, we just don't know. Um, I think, you know, I'd say now because the Lakers have closed out their series, the Bucks have closed out theirs, um, Boston start their series um, with Toronto tomorrow. Those ones, I think, they'll because they'll have a few days to breathe before they start round two. So I think once they get to their second round series, it'll just be business as usual um, from a competitive standpoint. You may see some lingering uh, ones in, in the seal, like the Utah-Denver that play tomorrow, um, you know, for the first one or two games, depending how long that goes. Until those first round series are finished you might see a little bit of that but i think once we get to round two we'll have a you know a few days for it to all sort of decompress and then it'll be business as usual but again you just you just don't know how how well and i think their families have some of them are finishing quarantine and will be in the bubble as of next week 
So I think that will really help too that they get, um, you know, some loved ones and things like that. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think their families will be a massive, a massive help because we've got to remember they're, they're also in, in an environment that is very unusual because of the bubble and the pandemic and things like that. So, you know, for them, it's they're away from their loved ones. And so not only is that difficult, but then you've got this social injustice stuff going on as well. It's it's like, you know, it's like, damn, when's 2020 just going to be over? You know? <laughs> when, well, how many layers do we have to deal with? You know, it's, it's yeah. So I think it's, it's great that their families will be there soon. Um, and you just hope that that basketball, you know, it's it's what they do, it's what they love, it's it's their passion. I hope that it helps them. Um, yeah. You know, when you there's certain things that you can do that you're passionate about, and no matter how tough things might be in your life, they help you because you get an escape. You know, and I'm yeah. hoping that that basketball is that for them, um, because no, does it benefit them, but it benefits us as as fans of the game because it you know does. Um, I'm I'm so glad they decided to proceed because it, it's it's their careers, it's their lives, it's you know, um, and it doesn't it doesn't take away from the message, and and that's how I view it that it doesn't take away from the message. So I'm glad that they they decided to um, they decided to proceed. Yeah, absolutely. And if anything, it amplifies the message given the the platform that the NBA has given them, and, and going to continue with the with the announcement of using their stadiums as voting. Um, centers or polling centers or registration centers, depending on the different states' legislation, the the um, the ads that they're going to be putting on about needing to vote and, and social justice messages. But the big one is is um, and they haven't they didn't obviously announce they're, they're going to have that coalition that they're going to create. But getting some action from these owners, you know that that seems to be the biggest thing that they're trying to push for is is these billionaire white, majority white billionaire owners, we need them to start exerting their influence to get get some things changed where it needs to be changed. You know, and um, I was watching Rachel Nichols on the jump yesterday or it might have been this morning and it's something that I didn't sort of realise but she was talking about how the NBA should look in terms of whenever a team comes up for sale who the the people that look to buy those franchises because they can control who who buys in to these these franchises a private company that their political beliefs and their um what they donate to and and things like that should be in line with the nba's message of black lives matter because there's owners of teams at the moment that might say we're with our players and we support them and things like that, but they donate huge amounts of money to political parties that are actively doing things against or are contrary to what they're trying to achieve with the Black Lives Matter movement. So, you know, there's power there because I I believe it's the Minnesota Timberwolves that are up for sale at the moment. She said that that's a good place to start with the who who you decide to let buy that franchise, make sure that their values and their vision aligns with what they're trying to do with the Black Lives Matter. Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, I think uh, it, it's it's very um, very beneficial to have uh, Michael Jordan as an owner um, because his his voice matters, and he hasn't been a great hasn't been a great owner in terms of running his team to success. <laughs> But 
may, maybe his legacy as an owner will be to, to advise, to listen, to advise, to help the other owners you know, get, get on track with this message. And, and that would be fantastic if that is, um, if, if he can help in, in that way. You know, his, his, his voice is something that would be listened to. And I think it's, it's great that, that he is an owner because if he wasn't, we know there's no other majority owners um, who are African American, or you know, so it's it's it would be very it would be a lot harder when you when you don't have that that person who can help drive drive the message, and also someone as powerful as he is to help drive that message, you know, because yes. he his he his voice matters, especially yes. in basketball, his voice matters. Um, so so that's that'll be good as well. Um, uh, let's jump to the three games today. What did you think yep. about, um, obviously, Milwaukee uh, and Orlando, the first game? Milwaukee closing them out and, and moving on? Yeah, so that was... A, um, you sort of knew the result um, throughout the game. You know, it was close there um, for a fair while, but once you got to the fourth quarter, um, you know, you could just tell, you know, it's a one-versus-eight series. You know, it is what it's supposed to be. Um, Milwaukee got to a point there in the last quarter, you know, where they decided, okay, it's time to close them out and and uh, basically finish them off fairly comfortably in the end. Um, you know, not too much to come out of it. It's just it, it's it's the way it's supposed to go. You know, a, a five five game series, a gentleman's sweep as they call it for for a one verse eight. It, it it just made sense. Giannis is playing very good basketball. Um, so yeah, it was it was as expected that game. Yep, I uh, completely agree. Second game um, was the Rockets and Thunder, which has been a, a very up and down series. It, it looked like it was going to be over very quickly, and then Thunder obviously have made a series of it, and then you know they were in it for for a half today, and then got blown out in the end. So, um, do you think the Thunder can push at seven, or is it over in six? Oh, I think with Russ coming back, even though he didn't play that well today, um, he showed it. You know, mind the pun, he showed a bit of rust. The old rust did. Um, but I think it, it's really been a series on three-point shooting, which, you know, you expect that with Houston. You know, today yeah. they shot 40% from three. I think they hit uh, 19 or 20 from 50 attempts. Um, and OKC, I think, shot 15% from three. You know, it was close up until half time, and then, and then Houston come out after half time. Um, just went on a, I think it was you know, 18 or 19 to one run, and and you know they were up by 20 basically the rest of the second half, just based on three point shooting, which is the power that Houston have. They can they can put a 20 point margin on you in three or four minutes, similar to what Golden State used to do, just through that power of three point shooting. So unless Houston have one of their um, poor nights from three and, and OKC shoot the lights out, I, I think we'll be over in in six and um, hopefully, you know, Russ will be better for the run um, and it'll be much better in game six. Um, and then I, I think I'll move on to, to see the Lakers. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I, th- I think um, Thunder had to get this one to... to, to um, I think it still would have got... If Thunder had got this one, I think it would have gone seven. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't think they would have, you know, finished them off, but I think now being, now being down and on the brink of elimination... Um, Obviously, Russ has had that game under his belt, as you mentioned. He'll be better for it, and um, you know I think James Harden will just be like, "No, nah, let's just let's finish this now and move on. Let's not spend too much time, more yes. time on this." Um, 
And then obviously the third game, uh, Lakers Blazers. As I said to you before we jumped on, I only saw the end of it, <laughs> and it was a horrible end for for the Blazers. They looked terrible. I was amazed they were that that far into it. But um, uh, what were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, look, all credit to to Portland. Severely undermanned today. Um, I think they had nine active players on the roster. Um, that Gabriel was a, was a late withdrawal, and obviously we know that Dame wasn't there. Um, uh, and you know, look, they fought hard. CJ and, and Mello both played well. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from it, Mello showed that you know he's still got something to give. Whether that gets him a new contract, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, they, they they fought hard. They 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 made it a game. They it was tied. I think at 109 with about eight minutes to go or seven minutes to go in the last quarter. Um, and sort of Lakers were sort of mucking around with it. I was sort of getting a bit worried that they were going to, you know, muck around too much and have to come back for a game six. But, you know, in the last five minutes, they showed just what they're built to do. AD and LeBron basically just took them out Monster of the game. Monster games. Yeah, just took them yeah. out in that last five minutes. That's that's what they're built to do. That's what's going to make them a championship team is they've got two guys that you know, at any point in time in the game can just take it away from you in five minutes. And that's what they did down the stretch. They just dominated on both ends of the floor along with the role players. And, you know, Portland just never had a shot from that point uh, that point on. But full credit to them for fighting it out. Um, watching the game, I was thinking this may be the last time we see Mello. Um, and it'd be fitting that he was matched up against LeBron. But, yeah, he certainly showed that he can still play. I just don't know if uh, he will get another contract. Would you take him at Lakers? No. No. No, as good yeah. as he is, I just, yeah, I think you you can, there's better guys out there that can fill that role um, in terms of, I'd, I'd rather a 3 and D guy a specialist three and D than than Mello, um, because yep. although he's trying more on the defensive end, it just you know at that point in your career you've he's not going to be a star, so you've got to be a specialist in in something. So you know if, if he's just going to be a specialist, stand out in the corner and shoot threes, that's all good and well, but it's going to cost you on the defensive end of the floor because we know he's not elite on that side. So. Unfortunately, I would take someone who's a specialist defender that can knock down a three, knowing that you know if their shot's not going in, they're not hurting you on the defensive end. Whereas with Mello, if he's not hitting threes, you know he can hurt you on the defensive side of the floor. I tell you what, if you're if you're a young kid coming up, learn how to be a three and D player, and you will have a very very long career. Oh yes. They are so valuable in the NBA nowadays. It's in, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> it's and that's, crazy. And unless you're unless you're a superstar, those are the the next highest coveted role. You yep. know what I mean? Like teams will get their their one or two or three all stars, and then they'll fill them with either athletic centers that can run the floor, and that most of them now can step out to the three, or you're a guard that's a three and D. Like yep. they're there's not many other roles in the NBA these days. That's the evolution of it, unless you're a superstar. So, yep. you know, if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket and say, I'm going to be the next James Harden or the next LeBron James or Anthony Davis, good luck. But the, the percentage say you're better off being the next Danny Green or 
the next um, JJ Reddick or Fred Van Vliet or you know yep. these type of type of guys that can can hit threes um, and and basically get out of the way of the superstars. <laughs> That's right. And as we mentioned on the, on the last pod, not only hit threes and, and get out of the way, but always be in the right spots. You know, yes. there's something to be said about someone who just knows the game and knows where to be. To, to be out of the way or be in a spot where you're a threat, you know. So it's yeah, it um, it's it's just definitely a skill that if you're coming up, three and D, just just work yeah. on those two things. <laughs> Unless it. you're some generational talent, which there's not That's many right. of them out there. <laughs> That's it. Don't ever go in the key. Just shoot threes and then go back and lock someone That's down. That's right. Even even <laughs> if you're a big fella these days, it seems to be what they yeah. want the big fellas to do. So hundred percent. It's crazy. Um, I'm mindful of time, but I want to touch on this because I don't want to get too far away from uh, the Luca game winner game. Um, so Reggie Miller was on the Dan Patrick show, um, and they were talking. This was a couple of days. This was before the boycott, so soon after game um, game four when Luca uh, hit the shot before game five. Um, and Dan asked Reggie if it was a good shot that game winner. Now, I don't, I don't know the exact words from Reggie, but he said something along the lines of, wasn't a good shot, it was a bad shot. But it was made by a good player. And then went on to talk about how Luca works on that shot. Now, it, it immediately struck me because I thought, well, if somebody works on a shot, is it a bad shot? Now, we're not talking about, it's not like it was a three-quarter court heave or something. It was, you know... It was a, a, a 28-footer or something, I think the official stat was, um, which is, you know, a step behind the three-point line. But it's not like it's a ridiculous, you know, a silly shot. Um, and it wasn't nowhere near the, the um, length of Dame's shot against um, the Thunder last year, which I think was 31 or something feet. Um, so what, what's your thoughts on, on the shot being a good or bad shot? And then if somebody works on a shot, is it a good or bad shot? <laughs> Well, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you would say five years ago, most of the shots that Clay and Steph Curry shoot now regularly would be classed as bad shots. You know, the, the purists of the game would say that, you know, coming off two screens and catching and basically jacking it up from 30 feet like Steph Curry does off balance is a bad shot until it goes in. So to me, it's only a bad shot if you shoot a poor percentage. So if if Luca hits 40% of his step back threes, then it's not a bad shot. Because even though a purist of the game might say, well, stepping back to your left and shooting from 28 feet traditionally is not a higher percentage shot. So it's classed as a bad shot. But if you're shooting 40%, well, then that actually is a higher percentage shot because if you shoot 40% from there, then that's better than shooting 50% from 15 feet in terms of the analytics of it. The same with the Damian Lillard shot. There was a, you know, a lot of arguments saying that's a bad shot or that I think Paul George said that's a lucky shot. But if he works on that, and I think the stats prove that from 30-plus feet, he shoots something like 42% or something crazy like that. If he's hitting that percentage of shot from there, then, then it's not a bad shot, even though traditionally a 31-footer 
stepping to your right is a bad shot, you're making 42% of them. So to me, that's not a bad shot. To me, a good shot and a bad shot is based on the percentage that you make of them. Everyone says a layup is a good shot because most people make 90% of their layups. Not yep. that, you know, it's a on-balance shot and, and this, that, and the other. Um, and they say a three-quarter court is a bad shot because most people would shoot like 10%. So to me, if, if you're making more, you know, a high percentage of that shot, regardless of what it looks like, it's a good shot. And that's why what Steph Curry and Clay Thompson shoot, they're off-balance threes and things like that. They're good shots for them because they make a high percentage of them. That'd be a bad shot for Dwight Howard because he's not going to hit them. But they they do. So to me, if Luca works on that shot and he, he makes a high percentage of them, to me, that's a good shot. But uh, what are your thoughts on it being a, a three-point shooter? Yeah, I, I, I my first thought was I've watched a lot of basketball and I've had those moments where it's like, oh, no, 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 no. And then it goes in and you go, oh, yes. <laughs> that wasn't one of those moments. I didn't feel like that was a bad shot. When he took it, I thought, that that's going in, like really the yep. way it was playing. I thought that's in. Um, I must admit, even comparing to the Dame one, um, I was a bit more like, oh wow, when Dame pulled up for that one last year. Whereas Lucas one, I didn't, I didn't think that at all. It was like that's that's a good shot because we've seen, as you mentioned to your point, we've seen Lucas shoot that shot yes. throughout the season multiple times. Um, so I, I didn't didn't think it was a bad shot. And as you as you mentioned, if you can if you can hit that on a on a a um a decent clip, it's not a bad shot. Like yeah, and I, I think I think Reggie is is where he's coming from is as you mentioned the more traditional perspective is if you had an old school coach watching today's NBA he'd think ninety nine percent of the shots are bad shots. Yes, because there are so many contested threes nowadays that you would just never take back in the day because it's just a bad shot. You just keep passing around until you find the open man or attack the rim or you know. So I understand where Reggie's coming from, but I. I didn't have that moment where it was like, oh no, you know. <laughs> um, so, but it's it, it's it was. I just thought it, was, it just struck me as an interesting perspective of well, it was a bad shot made by a good player, and I was like, well, is it though? <laughs> like, That's if, right. if that if that player makes that shot, is it just a shot that is a shot that that player can make? You know, versus yes. a as as you mentioned, if somebody else is shooting it, um, you know, you're thinking, oh no, that's that's not a good a good look. Um, and these days, a good look is basically, can you see the rim? <laughs> like, yeah. let's be honest. That's pretty much what a good look is for players these days. They, they work on these off-balance threes because of the way the league's going. That it's not just like you have to have all your mechanics in place and it's, you have to catch and shoot. You know, it's, it's a, you could be fading all sorts of directions you know, these days with some of these players. And you still think it's going, to your point with Steph and Clay, you still think it's going in. And it does. Like, yeah. Which, which yeah. you know, makes it so much bloody harder to guard when oh, guys yeah. can throw up shots like that and they go in. That's right. Um, and, 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 and that is his shot. Like, you, you see guys' tendencies um, when you watch them play enough. He loves that step back to your left three. You know, he, he will shoot that two or three times a game. It's not that, okay, it's the last minute shot and, and that's what he's done. Like, it's the same with LeBron. He loves to shoot it from the 45 on the left-hand side of the three. You know, We know P.J. Tucker loves his corner threes. We know Damian Lillard likes to, and Trey Young like to pull up from those from 30 feet. We know Kevin Durant likes to cross over from his left to his right hand and pull up. 
you know, you see guys that have certain moves. We, you know, Jordan, the most famous one with the fadeaway um, mid-range. You know, yep. guys have certain shots. Kawhi Lennon's another one. You know, he loves to back down, get to the middle of the lane and shoot it from 13 feet. Guys have certain moves that they're comfortable doing. And when it comes to those, those shots late in games and down the stretch, they go to those shots. So to me, when he shot it, to me, it's not okay the defense has made him take that shot. That's what he wanted to take because he he's comfortable stepping back to his left and shooting a three because he does it so often in games. That's right. It's all about repetition, what you're used to doing, what you feel comfortable doing. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the point about Kawhi because people talk about the mid-range being dead. Well, Kawhi doesn't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> he makes a living in the mid-range. And at, at yes. come playoffs, it's a very important shot. When the game slows down and you're playing half-court basketball, yeah. it's such an important to be able to hit those mid-range shots and hit them in a good clip. Like, it's... It's amazing how you know the analytics says nah threes and you know run up the scoreboard and that, but when the game starts to slow down, it's so much harder to, to get those looks. Um, before we finish up, I will say one thing that was funny that um, Reggie uh, Dan Patrick then asked Reggie about his step back during his day, um, yep. and he said he said he wanted to tell share a story about Kobe, and he said um, uh, Kobe was young, 18, 19 years old, and they were on the Olympic team or doing something, some commercial or something together. I can't quite remember what he said. And um, Kobe said, oh, you know, Reg, you got to teach me that step back that you've got. And, and Reggie was like, oh, okay, then. Like, I'll help, I'll help out a young, you know, a young guy. Um, he said, oh, but Kobe, you've got, you've got to then teach me that crossover. You know, I really like that crossover of yours and I want to put that in my game. So, yeah, no, I'll help you out. I hope that. So then they, they, Reggie jumps in and starts showing him and talks about, you know, when you feel that on your, on your right shoulder, that's when you push back and shoot and, Kobe's like, oh, that's really good, and blah, blah. And then Reggie says, all right, now what about the, uh, you teach me the crossover? And Kobe said, what crossover? <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, not giving you, I'm not giving you my secrets. Oh, he didn't. And, and Reggie said, had I have known that Kobe was going to end up being Kobe, I would not have helped him in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. <laughs> and then he, he, mentions, he mentions shortly after they're playing in that, in that NBA finals, and he said, Kobe is doing the bloody step back on me that I showed him how to do it. <laughs> That's classic so, Kobe, isn't it? Oh yeah, the Kobe stories are just endless. They're they're unreal. <laughs> <laughs> they're unreal. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I've never heard oh. that before. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. All right, let's um let's wrap it up because we've gone longer uh, once again. But um really good pot, I think. Um important to touch on on the boycott and, and things like that. So um, thanks everybody for listening and, and uh, your patience in getting through uh, 55 minutes of, of this now. <laughs> um, and we will be back to, to get more into the, the games um, as they progress uh, for our next pod. So um, I will talk to you then, Buckets. All right, talk to you then.